Welcome to the Quality Improvement Box Set by RCVS Knowledge, a series of webinars, podcasts, and video interviews for practices and practitioners. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm going to talk to Lizzie Whiting. Lizzie is um, a Liverpool graduate from 2001, and she works in um, small animal practice in Cornwall. She's worked in mixed practice. Now she works in small animal in first opinion practice. Um, and I'm going to talk to Lizzie about setting up quality improvement structures in practice. So, Lizzie, how did you first get involved in uh, or interested in quality improvement? Hi, Pam. Um, so. My journey into quality improvement and, uh, and clinical governance started with Jill Newt at my last practice. Um, she came in uh, one day and said, right, we're, going, we're, we're looking at improving our quality improvement, our clinical governance across practices. She was RCVS president at the time. And she said, we're going to start having these meetings. And we're all like, what, what does this mean? What's this going to involve? Um, and the more we had the meetings and, and uh, the ideas developed and we shared information, um, and it was a really positive environment to be able to do so, um, the more benefit I saw from it. Um, so when she came towards retirement, um, she said, you know, would you be willing to take on running these meetings and, and implementing the things in practice? And I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, sort of followed on from that um, and went to CPD, run by yourself, um, which was <laughs> really enjoyed that, learned, learned some more from that. It was quite nice because some of the things we'd already doing was what, what you were suggesting and we added some extra bits and refined it. Um, when I moved practice two years ago, um, they didn't have any sort of formal quality improvement meetings so we started from scratch so I have my, my information that I brought from my last practice um, and involved them in, in getting it going so that, that's been a, a real big learning process and, and hopefully everyone has benefited from that. Good how, how would you advise another practice to get wanting to get started then how did you get this practice started? Yeah so I think the most important thing at the very beginning is to get everyone enthused about the idea of quality improvement. Um, so quality improvement is, is how you achieve clinical governance. So clinical governance is, is what needs to be done and the QI bit is, is how we achieve it. Um, clinical governance sounds like a bit of a scary term so I tend to use the, the quality improvement term um, but getting everyone on board, seeing why it's important um, and what I tend to, what, what, I, what I suggested was we're looking at improving our patients' outcomes. And I think vets and vet nurses and the admin team, we want to make patients better. We, we want to improve what we do. We want to provide the best service we possibly can. Um, and by saying that this is going to be a, a way that we can do that and we can share our knowledge and we can come with a, a united view at different things. We're not getting confusion between vets, between clients. Um, and then our patients will all benefit. And I think that's the most important thing to start with. Get everyone on board with the idea, not scared of the idea. And then there's various logistical things that you need to put in place. Getting the practice manager on board or whoever runs the diary is really important because you need to block off some time. We sort of recommend about an hour every four weeks. It might be an hour and a half every six weeks, whatever, whatever works out. But getting some uninterrupted time in the diary, which sounds impossible, but it is possible been doing this for many years and you can do it as long as you have you know other other ways of making sure that the calls are answered or, or um, messages taken or whatever having that time you may be able to benefit one patient in the short term in that hour or two patients or three patients but taking some time to do the quality improvement meeting I mean you could benefit hundreds of patients in the practice going forwards 
so yeah, bit of logistics, bit of enthusiasm, and then organizing the meetings and making sure that you're you're covering the appropriate topics, reviewing, following up, and, and keeping it as an ongoing process and sustainable within the practice. So what about those practice that those QI meetings in the practice then? Any tips for, for running those? Yeah, so I think having having somebody that is your QI lead or your ambassador or whatever you want to call them, um, getting them to collate an agenda, but the agenda is fed by the team. So give the team a, a method in which to put in agenda points. So, for example, we, I've used having a QI as a, as a client on the practice management system um, and then having various animals underneath with different topics. So it could be critical events or it could be near misses or just general information you've learned from CPD or things that have happened. So as things happen in the practice, get them noted down. Oh, that would be a good thing to discuss at QI and getting that as part of the culture of the practice that when somebody thinks of something, they plop it in the QI box. So it took a little bit of encouragement to start with and uh, still probably an ongoing process. Somebody say, oh, this has happened. Okay, put it on QI, we'll discuss it there. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So just that constant encouragement of getting people, yes, you can put it down. We will discuss it. We do value what you say. Um, and then a little bit of, again, sort of administrative organization of the agenda to make sure it runs logically and then discussing it and then taking an action plan from that meeting, assigning teams to action the points that have come out and then reviewing them at the next meeting. Has it actually happened? And that's kind of a key point. It's great having the meeting. Everyone gets enthusiastic. You can forget about it for four weeks. You come around, has anything happened? No. So you need to have somebody there that's just go, no, have you have you done your agenda points? Have you, have you done your action plan? This is what needs to happen. So yeah, it does require a bit of energy and enthusiasm. And some team members are really up for it and some are really not. <laughs> and that's going to happen, you know, across the board. That, that always happens. But as long as you get most people excited about it most of the time then then you should have some chance for success that's the key isn't it to get the get the get the team on board and let them yeah. see the let them see the benefits of it I, yeah. I think that really yeah. is the key what about drawing up protocols or guidelines in the practice do you involve the team in that yeah for sure um so protocols and guidelines um they're kind of they are two separate things i think sometimes the names can be used interchangeably and then your sops your standard operating protocols that those are kind of separate again so the a protocol is for a process with a known outcome. For example, there has to be a certain way that you, I don't know, take a take a BAX transfer and the email comes through and you process it. And, and that only has to happen one way. And there is it's fairly rigid structure. A guideline is more applicable to clinical situations because they're a little bit more fluid. What I tend to suggest is we, we formulate our best practice model. We do the research, we find the evidence. There isn't any evidence. There isn't everything in general practice. There isn't evidence for. Um, but we, garner, we gain as much information as we can. We put it together in a logical format. And that forms a framework where everybody's kind of singing from the same sheet. Um, so, for example, treating ear disease in dogs is one that we've looked at. And so, so what are we going to do diagnostically? And if every vet is offering similar things the clients are less confused and we get sort of a, a more uh, cohesive approach so for example if I start off an ear case and I've taken a swab and I've seen this that and the other and I start on these meds and it comes back in I'm on holiday and my colleague sees the dog and they see I've done the swab and they've seen what I've given it and the dog isn't better well okay so we need to go to the next step so maybe we need to do a culture or we maybe need to do an ear flush or whatever the, the guideline happens to be so you get this this continuity of care even if you have different vets and obviously the, the ideal situation is you have the same vet with the same case but we have to be realistic it doesn't always happen, it doesn't happen, always um, happen in real life 
So, um, so you're getting the team involved at this stage of actually writing the guidelines, are you? Absolutely, absolutely. So it may be that there's no point in trying to get a surgeon to write a Cushing's guideline because they will have no interest. But there'll be somebody who's really interested in that and they've done the CPD on it. So tapping into those skills within the team if you've got somebody that's really passionate about something, encourage them to write the guideline. It may be for some of the anaesthetic protocols, a vet and the nurse working together would, would work really nicely. So I've done this for um, uh, crash protocols. A nurse and I, she'd been on a CPD and, and we worked together and I worked out the drug doses and things like that. And we worked together on it, came up with a, a, a nice plan that we could update our crash protocol for. And because she had ownership of doing that particular guideline, she then, oh, she really ran with it. She did a fantastic job and got a new box and all sorts of different things and, and things I hadn't thought of. Um, so that was a, a really useful thing. And because she had ownership on it, she was then very keen to share it with the, other, the rest of the nursing staff. Look, we've done this and we've got this and we've, we've got these guidelines, we've got these drug sheets and things like that. So, yeah, if you just have one person going, oh, this is your guideline, people will go, I don't care. It's not relevant to me. If you get everyone feeding back their ideas, and certainly that's kind of step one of formulating the guideline, find out what everyone else is doing. How do you treat ear disease? Oh, you do that, do you? Oh, that's really interesting. How do you do it? Oh, okay. I've never thought about doing that. Um, there could be little things. Um, we were talking in one clinic government's meeting, it was ages and ages ago, actually, about the clinical exam for doing a just a vaccination consult. And one of the vets said, oh, I always make sure I check all the mammary tissue in the female dogs. I was like, Okay, oh, I usually run my hands under, but I don't particularly feel it particularly. And I started doing that. And another vet said, Well, I always check for elbow effusions and stifle effusions, just a quick check. It also means you're always checking elbows and knees. So you get to know what normal feels like. So adding those little things in, and everyone's doing the same thing. Um, and it's amazing what you can learn from other vets that do stuff. And you're like, oh, I've never even thought about doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, what about when um, errors, unfortunately, unfortunately, errors do happen, don't they? Yeah. With all the best will in the world, they happen. What about when errors happen in the practice? Do you discuss those in your in your QI meetings? Yeah, so um, that usually comes up. I usually try and put that fairly early on into the discussion because it's the bit that everyone dreads. It's the bit that everyone's worried about getting blamed for something. I think it's very important in a QI meeting. It's a no blame environment. It's a calm environment. We need to acknowledge that errors happen. We're human. Dogs are dogs, cats are cats, you know, crazy things happen. Um, there's always different things going on and different ways to get things wrong. Um, and if we say we never make an error, then you're not being truthful to yourself. I think it it's cathartic in a way to say, look, this went wrong. This happened. Um, I did this that was suboptimal. And getting support from your team members for them to say, oh, yeah, I did that as well, or, or that, that happened to me, only mine was worse. Um, so having that shared experience and them going, you know, it's OK, you know, you, it sounds like you did everything you could and things still went wrong. It, it, it happens. Um, and so that that can really help ease that mental burn of that worry about that that problem that occurred. So sharing it is is useful to the individual. If it is something that there, there'd be a way that we can alter our processes or alter guidelines or whatever to prevent it happening again, then excellent, feed that back. If it's a significant event, there's various uh, support things on RCVS, on VDS that you can use to, to do an audit. And sometimes it's a case that the QI meeting isn't the place to solve the problem. It's a place to go, this problem has occurred, you know, that's awful. Let's do something about it. This team of two or three people, can you go off and investigate this event fully, get all the data, get all the facts, um, and then we can see, is there anything that we need to be doing different to prevent it happening again? Or was it just 
unfortunate, you know, you injected the dog with propofol and it dropped off the needle like you're giving it euthetal and that was awful and we don't know why. Maybe it's because it's a brachycephalic and they unfortunately it occasionally happens or she'll be looking at pre-oxidating our brachies or, or whatever, it, whatever the situation happens to be. But actually being able to talk about it, if you wish to be involved in the process of investigating it, that can make you feel better about it because you feel like you're being proactive. And then once you've got your new system, you can then put it to bed. You don't have to keep revisiting it. It's, it's dealt with. It's done. You can move on. Presumably, once you've made those changes, you would monitor the, what, what. Oh, yeah. How would you tend to, to monitor changes that you've made? So um, it, it depends a little bit on the guideline, the protocol that's been or the protocol that's been put in place. Um, so generally, if we're writing a new guideline, you, you have the discussion bit. Then we draft something out, do some research, go and look in the in the library. Is there is there any evidence to back up what we're doing? Draw up, draw up the protocol, give everyone a chance to read the evidence. Not everyone will want to read it. Some people want to read every word. Some people will go, oh, yeah, you've looked up. There's a paper. That's fine. That'll do for me. Formulate a guideline, say, look, this is what we think. What do you guys think about this guideline? Get feedback. Oh, actually, is that a bit too detailed for us? Do we need to add this in? Um, and get a little bit of, of feedback from that and then take it to the next week. So it can take a couple of meetings to get these sorted. Take that to the next week. Right, this, I think, is the completed guideline. Great. Are we agreed on this? Fine. Let's put this into practice. Let's see how it works. Let's review it in a month or two months, depending on you know the frequency. If it's an anesthetic thing, you'd probably review it more quickly. If it's something we're not seeing that often, it might be a little bit longer. Review it. Okay, did this guideline work? Are you using it? Have you found any problems with it? Are we still seeing the same issue? Um, it may be that the problem has warranted a, a, like a formal clinical audit, and there's various support mechanisms on the um, RCVS CPD page for how to conduct a clinical audit. Um, so it may be, for example, we had an episode a few years ago at my previous practice of dogs coughing after anaesthetic. Um, and I'd noticed I'd had a couple post-op checks of coughing and my colleague had had a couple. And because we both put them on, it was like, oh, has anyone else had these? Oh, yeah, I've had a few. And we actually, when we tallied it up, there was there was quite a number. So we did a clinical audit of, of which anaesthetic machine and which tubes and which personnel and things like this. And actually in the process of doing the audit, we... I think we changed the cleaning protocol of the tubes or something. I can't remember the details now. And we kind of fixed the problem in the process of doing the audit, but we had a review for that audit going forward. So there's, there's different ways of doing it. But yeah, you need to review these. And that comes in as part of the agenda at the beginning of the meeting. What have we done? What are we reviewed? Do we need to keep doing this? And would you have a section where you'd look at any audits that you've got that were ongoing in the meeting? Yeah, so um, the clinical audit... You don't want to go into all the details in the meeting because it will just take up too much time. So having a separate team for your clinical audit for whatever you want to be doing, post-op complications, there's some waiting times, all sorts of different things. So having a team that wants to run that audit is great. And basically reporting back the main findings in the QI meeting and where they're up to and what's been going on and what data they've collected. And do they need to still keep going? Do they need any extra support? Do they need any more information? Things like that. So yeah, Kind of a report from the clinical audit in the QI meeting, but not the whole process of the uh, clinical no. audit. Although I'm sure probably ideas for clinical audits come up too in QI meetings, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, somebody will have, have noticed something down and it's like, okay, we need to track that. We need to look at that. Who wants to take this on? Um, so the, the QI meeting is the time to sort of delegate a sub-team, sub-committee, whatever you want to call it, a, a smaller team of people to go away and sort that particular problem. If you spread the, the workload out amongst the team, it's more likely to get done. If you just have one person trying to do everything, they'll burn out and, 
you know, they need to do their own clinical work and all the other things that need to happen. So dividing it up works really nicely, I find. Well, that's a really interesting point that you that you say there. Um, obviously, these things do take time, don't they? The improvement is, is something that takes time. But um, yeah. so how, have you, how do you manage to fit it in with the rest of your working day? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm the, I have a lot of stuff saved on um, the practice sort of shared database. So whichever consult room I'm in, um, I can access things. So if I've got my action plan, I usually have that printed out. Um, and if I know that when I look at my consult slot, for example, um, and there's, you know, it's maybe not fully booked up, which actually doesn't happen at the moment with the current situation, but in normal time, you do get some days where there is just less work to do for who knows what reason that is. Um, so I will try and open stuff up and do a little bit of work in any of those gaps. Sometimes, you know, you've been booked in a big op and then for whatever reason that's cancelled, hasn't happened, whatever. And then, OK, so I had two hours assigned to doing this op and it's not happening. OK, I'm going to take that time to go and do some QI work. It may be that for some practices it works better to have um, some admin time blocked off for them. Um, but they actually have diary space to do that. It very much depends on the individual. So I personally am quite happy to just kind of slot it into my day. I work part time, um, so I can be back to pick the kids up from school. So I'm I'm always trying to cram a whole day's work into three quarters of a day. <laughs> um, and the way I work, that works for me. I know some of my colleagues like to have, I've got this hour and a half where I know I can address this issue and I've got the time to do it and nobody's going to bother me doing anything else. So it that's a very much a personality thing, I think. Absolutely, but but it's um, it's good that, that it becomes part of the normal day, isn't it? I mean, quality yes. improvement yeah. should be part of the normal working day, shouldn't yeah. it? It's yeah. great to have some uh, some dedicated time, and I think it's good to have yeah. that, especially for your meetings. But yeah. it's, it should be we should be able to do it um, during our day because it, it should be part of our normal work. Yeah. And have, yeah. have you found the um, the sort of bite sized CPD that you can get on RCBS Knowledge um, QI resources? Have you found that useful? Yeah, those little 20 minute, like I think the significant event audit one I found really, really useful because it was 20 minutes. This is nuggets of what you need to know. Um, go away. Look at this. These are the links to the bits you need. Perfect. Uh, really, really useful. So short and sweet, 20 minutes you can fit into a, you know, various different points of the time. It's amazing what you can do. You know, if you put your mind to it, if you know that that's something you want to achieve you can fit it into your day one way or another. And there's always going to be weeks where, you know, you're staying late and you've got a bazillion cases and they're all difficult. And then you'll have another week where it's a bit easier. Just the cycle of veterinary practice, yeah. really, isn't it? And we need to remember, don't we, that quality improvement and clinical governance is CPD as well. We can count it all. Yeah. Quality improvement meetings, when you're discussing clinical things, you can count that as CPD. It can all go on your yeah. CPD app. <laughs> Absolutely. And if, you, and if you're researching a clinical guideline, you've spent, you know, half an hour looking up papers or reading the paper or whatever, it all counts. It's all learning. Um, and it's directed learning, say, research for, I don't know, uh, geriatric cat guideline. Um, put that down. ISFM, that's another brilliant resource. Yeah. Love them. Really, really good. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Using them and then personalising them to your practice yeah. situation. Excellent. Well, you're so enthusiastic about it. About it. That's brilliant. Um, and I hope that you've really enthused other practices to be just as enthusiastic. About it. Um, and thank you very much for talking to me. That's all right. No problem. Thank you for having me, Pam. For further courses, examples and templates for quality improvement, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website at rcvsknowledge.org.